Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. Congratulations on finding Star Style. Be the star you are. Our vibrant hosts, passion, purpose, and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter, healthy living specialist Heather Brittany, share the best roads, fastest detours, and successful strategies for a life worth living. Reach your potential with their personal achievement coaching, miracle moments, inspiring guests, titillating interviews, and business bites. Be introduced to new books and innovative ideas that encourage you to live a positive, sustainable lifestyle while achieving your dreams. Ignite your power, make a difference in the world, and shoot for the stars. It's the power hour of living, loving, laughing, and learning. On Star Style, be the star you are. Lend us your ears. The party starts now. Never say never. Live your dream. Well, it's party time again. Hello, Power Partners. Welcome to our informational playground. This is Star Style, be the star you are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. And the show is brought to you under the SBCs of Be the Star You Are charity. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we are here to help you seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversations. The miracle moment for today is by Wayne Teasdale. Kindness is the highest form of intelligence. And I would have to agree with that. I agree. Yes. Always be kind no matter what because... Kindness will really help you be happy in life. Well, we have a really interesting show for you today. Coming up here in segment one, Heather's going to be talking to us about the blue zone, the regions in the world where people live past the age of 100 and how those, uh, you know, their diets, their lifestyle, what we can learn from these centigenarians. And then in segment two, we are going to be talking about Diane von Furstenberg. Her biography, her first biography called A Life Unwrapped, it really is a captivating portrait of who the designer was and what she has done with her life. And uh, definitely how, you know, revealing and... um, and what would I say? She was uh, she was just a one of a kind kind of woman, and so that'll be coming up in segment two. And then we're going to talk about affection in segment three. So a lot coming up. So we want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy Star Style. Be the star you are. So Heather, <laughs> blue zones. I have always said I'm going to live to 108. So mm-hmm. I really do want to know. <laughs> What I have to do, what are these people doing, where are they, and why are so many people in these uh, blue zones living past 100? All right, so uh, kind of a, kind of take on the whole thing of this, what really brought, I mean, we've talked about this for a long time, for people who don't know what a quote-unquote blue zone is, is it's basically this concept they've created of um, these areas, these demographics uh, that uh, they've discovered that people are living past 100 years old in a, in a large population of it, not just, you know, there's a, one very old person in the town. And, um, it's you know, there's certain sort of hot zones with this. And, um, you know, if Ikenawa, you know, we've, we've known for a long time about in Japan. So what really they're trying to find out is these certain areas of why such a high amount of people are living for so long, especially, you know, with all these things that we're exposed to and how this kind of are the life that we're living. Um, and, you know, they're finding these things, of the, you know, trying to find out, is it that they're not smoking? Is it the diet? Is it the air? What is it? And the, the hot spots that they found that there's, a, again, a very large population that are living so long 
is one in Sardinia, Italy, as we know. I mean, the Italians, what can we say? Um, and one thing they found, uh, these uh, demographers, they found that there was the longevity in the mountain villages, um, in the mountain villages where men were reaching over to be 100. And as we know, men uh, typically live a lot less uh, than, uh, you know, die, unfortunately, a less uh, younger than women. Um, so to find these areas that are highly populated with, with men living past 100 was a big kind of step forward. Um, another thing, as I said, is the Okinawa, the Japanese. That's sort of, that was sort of the first really big hot spot um, that turned us on. Um, also, Loma Linda, California, um, they found uh, that the Seventh-day Advent, um, Adventist? Ad- uh, Seventh-day Adventist. In Loma Linda? Yeah, so now, where is that? Is that in Southern California? Is that near San Diego? Loma Linda, I believe, is somewhere in California. Now, there's so many Linda-style places in the San Diego region. And Loma. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I might be another, one, another one is in, um, uh, in Costa Rica and another one in Greece. And so the main thing about this, so you know, they're trying to find what you know, what are these characteristics? What is making these people live so long? And the things that the main kind of things that they discovered um, was that there was less smoking. People ate a semi-vegetarian diet. Um, they put family first in, in front of their concerns. There was a lot of social in, uh, engagement. A lot of that stuff going on. So, you know, just kind of the basics, the things that we always think, you know, oh, to live a healthy life. Um, but what really brought me attention and I thought was really cool is where I'm living in this little area, that, the bubble, as we call it, but the Hermosa Redondo and um, Manhattan Beach and mainly, you know, Hermosa Beach area in Southern California, um, that there's all these signs everywhere for the last about two years. There's been this big kind of renovation trying to make us become a blue zone. And um, so Hermosa Beach is in the area that I'm living in, Southern California. Um, we were one of the first cities in the nation, actually, um, to be known as a blue city uh, community policy designation. So what that means is that there's, uh, you'll see it next time you come up or people out there next to me come and visit, um, the the city's kind of gone, over, and this is, you know, this beach community, already this kind of huge renovation to make it more uh, healthier in ways. So um, one of the first things was it with this, I said, in the, in the bubble, in the blue zone bubble of Manhattan, Redondo, and Marissa, is it's become a smoke-free community. So um, well, you can that's no longer a positive smoke. thing. Where, yeah, completely so smoke-free? You know, in, well, in California, they've they've made it, you know, that you can't, you can no longer smoke inside restaurants, um, but they've made it, excuse me, in the beach, um, all public areas. So, um, the so all beach areas. A, while, a little while ago, they made it so that uh, you can no longer drink on the beaches, but now they've made it that you can no longer smoke on the beaches, and that also there are certain things that you have to be within, I believe, a twenty-five to uh, fifty feet um, designation. Um, away from buildings and schools. I think that it's, it's pretty a large situation with that. Also, um, you'll see when our roads have kind of totally been reconstructed right along the beach area, um, that we're in general a pretty uh, beach, uh, excuse me, bike-friendly bike community. I mean, I'm someone who every chance when I ride to the studio and different things that I, I choose to ride my bike. It's just such a beautiful view. But um, the scary thing, of course, you know, is driver, you, know, you have to share the road and there's you know, everyone kind of feels that they have the right-of-way. So there's now been this now multi-million-dollar construction. It was just recently opened um, that they made the bike, the, they've made roads now more bike-friendly, and actually they've lessened the amount of car driving, the street driving that can go there, and they've made these really, I mean, the bike lanes are almost, they are enclosed off so they're protected, um, and they're different color-corded, and they have their own sort of lanes and all like really to make it more bike-friendly and walk friendly to it and they've set up lights and things and um, particular lights that pertain just to walkers just to bikers um, to have people you know getting out there and being more um, active another thing too is that they've designated city land to become um, uh, garden communities so many people you know that even some people are fortunate up here to have a small backyard but as you know in beach communities there might be a really beautiful houses but the lots places are really really close together um, there's no longer that big open space so not not many people are allowed or, or have the the space to have fresh fruit fresh vegetables so they've um, purchased some land and now they've made it things into community gardens 
And so that's kind of getting that thing of, you know, planting, you know, being more, you know, in, into the gardens and having more forestry and vegetables, but also creating that sense of community engagement and getting children involved with that. So, um, that's, that's and that's really so fun. important. If you get the kids involved, then they'll grow up to enjoy it and be part of it and then pass it on. Exactly. And, you know, so these were the, the main things, um, you know, that are part of this whole, this blue zone thing is creating, you know, creating, they, they said that people are smoking less in these communities, having healthier diets, exercising more. So they've tried to make it without being too pushy and out saying, you know, eat, you know, eat healthy, walk more, do this, uh, making it sound like, you know, this is our community. Let's keep it clean. Let's make it healthy. Let's make it this blue zone. And they've also been offering throughout the year, they do all kinds of um, community workouts where they will host like a Zumba in the park and, you know, hundreds of people come out and there's, you know, someone, an instructor on stage or um, they'll do these, uh, you know, various runs. We have all kinds of runs that are free to enter um, or uh, they can do collection things that then go to various charities. Um, again, we do still, I mean, there is many, many bars here. Um, but uh, one fun thing, too, yeah, we do have a lot of craft breweries, but you can always take a trail of ale and ride bikes, and they're in that kind of um, close regency. So um, the whole just kind of concept of, again, that, uh, what I was so impressed by is that Hermosa, that, this whole, that our beach area um, was well aware of, you know, this, of these other areas. And, and if you notice that um, the other for the most part, other than this, this precarious Loma Linda, um, the other blue zones are all beach-related areas, you know, in Greece, in Italy, um, and in uh, uh, Costa Rica. Well, you know, so, it makes a lot of sense cause, because, you know, there's so much that has to do with the water and the ocean and the waves and the ions. And it's always been said just even being by the ocean lowers your blood pressure and makes you... Uh, you know, it makes you less stressed and happier. And I wonder if that has something to do with it, too. 100%. So I think, as also I think another thing is, you know, just that fresh ocean, salt water. And I think we want to preserve that. So I think, I think what was uh, so astounding to me is that our community stepped forward to really, we want to, we want to have one of those. We want to be, we want people to have longevity here. We want to be living longer. And and I'm just more and more seeing all these activities throughout um, our community. And I just, I think it's fantastic. So hopefully, you know, other areas that potentially more inland or just anywhere stepping up or bringing this, I think, you know, this is such an innovative thing and, and such an important, and it's been really molded into this way um, that, that doesn't come off, again, as pushing. It sounds exciting for our community of, um, I think especially especially in California, as people know, we are super, you know, go green, go hippie style. But throughout, you know, even, you know, the United States, I think there needs, there is this more awareness that, um, you know, this planet is the only one we currently are able to live on. And there's so much things uh, that we're seeing, this, this rapid climate change, you know, all these toxins, all these new allergy things that didn't exist 100 years ago. And now, because of industrialization, we're having such more um, exposure to things. So trying to slow down things a little bit and kind of give back and kind of massage and kind of, you know, bandage up Mother Earth a little bit, which is helping us as well. So, again, the main, um, the main thing for these blue zone things, the kind of takeaway for everyone, um, is the main thing they saw is that they said semi-vegetarian diets that you hear everything often about all these different fads. You're, you know, every week it's, don't have sugar, now sugar's good for you, now salt's bad, now you want salt. But, um, again, moderation and everything. But when it comes to meat, as semi-vegetarian, include having more um, vegetables, making meat a less priority, not an everyday uh, thing, and having healthy omega-3 fishes. Um, again, if you're doing completely vegetarian, that's even healthier as well. Um, again, having great, uh, getting a good amount of exercise, family time, community time. We are uh, very connected to our... Um, electronics nowadays, and that we've seen this more and more that we're no longer having this social interaction. So that's another main thing, uh, especially with these gardens and all these other things that they've set up. Is it's not only uh, you know promoting health and and proper eating, but it's also promoting community engagement that other people, other families can come together. They can do something that feels like a community building something, which isn't really uh, a prevalent uh, thing anymore with with today. 
Um, I know for, for you, you've always been a, a big Blue Zone advocate. Is there anything up, you know, in your area you guys are feel very Blue Zoned about? or, or what Well, you, I, you know, I really, my connection is like what you're saying. When you talk about the beach, there's just something for me. I have to be around water all the time. And uh, when I am around water, whether it's a river, a lake, the ocean, even fountains, you know, <laughs> or bird baths. Yeah. I feel more in that that blue zone, and I I really believe everything that you have uh, researched and that you're bringing to the show about how we can you know live more effectively and happily, and the fact that so many people are in areas that are on the coast or on the seashore, I think it just makes a lot of sense. I I also feel that. Um, if you're in rural areas, you know, again, this is just my preference, but I really do feel that having nature around you is going to help you live longer and be a type of blue zone. And when I say nature, I mean, I know that, you know, the main populace lives in cities, and um, but there always are parks, you know, you can always get out of the city and 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 get to a hike or get to a hill. So to me, the more that we do in those kinds of um, areas, the more that we exercise and eat properly and uh, get plenty of nature, nature bombing, I call it, uh, uh-huh. that we're going to live longer. And, you know, we are more aware. Don't you think people are just more aware today of their oh, surroundings as well as what they're, you know, what they're putting into their bodies. I think that's a key as well. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, that's sort of the main thing is eating healthy, making healthy lifestyle choices, having community and social interaction. And as they said, as a way of de-stressing is, you know, making you know, a family first. Is that's, the, that's the main connector tie with, with everything in our lives is having a strong family bond. So Right. And I if think- you don't have a biological family... Uh, it's important to create a family of friends, people that you can really count on. So, you know, there are many people who they're not related by blood, but they consider each other family because, you know, they do things together, they support each other, they have each other's backs. And that is, that's something critical. Just to know that you're loved and can love really makes a difference in somebody's life. And I, and I also believe uh, that a part of being a blue zone is feeling that you are making a difference and that you are effective and effective because if we if we're not feeling appreciated or if we're not doing something that is making a difference then we don't have this sense of giving back or this sense of uh, arriving because we we have done something good does that make sense so I think that that I think that's important. I think that's at least, at least for me. I think that it's really important to um, be doing something for others. And it just seems that when you study these areas that are considered blue zones, where people are living to over a hundred years old, and if you talk to any of these older people, they still have a sense of youth about them, and they still have a sense of purpose. And so, just sitting on a rocking chair and getting old isn't going to cut it. You have to have a sense of purpose. You have to have a goal. You have to have a passion, something to live for. And then you can live longer, right? Exactly. Happiness is longevity. That's well, exactly. as always, we're running out of time with these things. But again, for everyone, key is moderation in life, happiness, fresh vegetables, getting outside. I think a great thing with planting things is it also puts healthier air that makes our, you know, our, our oxygen more breathable. For more information on everything about the radio show, check out our websites. Go to BeTheStarYouAre.com as well as BeTheStarYouAre.org. And when we come back from break, we're going to be talking about the book, Diane von Furstenberg, A Life Unwrapped, with uh, the author and biographer, Joya DeLiberto. So don't go away. It's a fascinating look at DVFs. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And you're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. We'll be right back. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas. 
at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Plug in your headphones and tune in to enlightening interviews with acclaimed authors and success experts as our Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, gabs with the gurus. Lend us your ears for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, here's Cynthia Bryan. Well, thank you for staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am Cynthia Bryan, and I am your host and delighted to be here with you where we bring you every week the pioneers on the planet, the people who are making a difference, writing books, making stories that we all want to hear. Well, most everyone has heard or has, if you're a woman, that iconic wrap dress that was revolutionized and redefining of the American style. But who was it and how did a young child of a Holocaust survivor get married to a prince and become one of America's sweetheart designers in her early 20s? How did this all happen? The first ever biography of Diane von Furstenberg. This is a book called A Life Unwrapped. It's by Joya Diliberto, who is with us today. And we are going to talk about Diane and her crazy, wild, amazing life. Welcome, Joya, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, this was, you know, such an eye-opener. Of course, everyone knows the DVF a symbol. They all have heard of Diane von Furstenberg. Her, she ha- has been everywhere. I love the title of your book, A Life Unwrapped, because the wrap dress was her thing. But let's start first with how you got involved with actually writing her biography, because Diane had written a couple of memoirs already, and you, from what I understand, had approached her to uh, write a biography, but, you know, at first it didn't go well. So tell us how, how you actually got into her life and, and got this wonderful gig because you have done an amazing job. You've done so much research. It's very detailed, and I like the way your book is just so fair and authentic. It's, you know, it tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so nice to be appreciated. Um, well, I have written several other books. The book that I wrote before this was a novel about Coco Chanel. I love fashion. I've always also been interested in fashion as a cultural force and in fashion history, which is why I like writing about fashion in addition to wearing fashion. And so I was hunting around for another fashion-related subject to write about, and I was in a vintage store in Soho one day, and I saw this wrap dress that looked just like one I had owned in the 70s, and it hit me, Diane von Furstenberg, and I got so excited about it, and I emailed her through a mutual friend and suggested that we get together and talk about this. And at first, she was very reluctant. She said, oh, let's wait until I'm dead. 
which is not right. what That's I wanted the, to hear. Yeah. But why? Why wait till she's dead? Hopefully she's going to be one of these blue zone people and live to exactly. 100. Exactly, you know? and live forever. Well, I think, first of all, she had a point in the sense that biographies have traditionally been written about people after they're gone because it's not a completed life until the life is finished. But recently there have been a lot of biographies written by people who are still alive and will continue to be alive for decades. And Diane was very superstitious, though, because when she was living in Paris with the writer Alain Elkan, he was working on a biography of the Italian writer Alberto Moravia, and as soon as Alain's book was published, Moravia dropped dead. He died, right. And, <laughs> that, and that is, well, and, you know, she was a superstitious person anyway, right? So, I mean, right. consulting psychics and all these kind of right. things. Kind of got that from her mother. So that's very interesting that she, she actually, that's what she thought of right away. It triggered, a, it triggered something in her that she would exactly. die. <laughs> so it took some convincing on my part to for her to overcome that superstitious fear. But I think eventually she decided that somebody was going to write a biography of her and it was probably not going to be somebody as suitable as me. And, in fact, it was pretty strange that no one had done it yet because she's so famous given her importance to fashion history and to the cultural history of New York, it was just inevitable that somebody was going to jump on it. And I think she thought, you know, she might as well cooperate with me because I understand fashion. I understood her. She liked my other books and she figured I was the best person to go with. And I hope she still feels that she made the right choice. Well, and you know, I mean, just based on your previous book, um, uh, about Coco Chanel, too. You know, I would think that she would be really interested to be among, you know, uh, in that whole fashion biography by you because, you know, Coco was so famous in, in, in her time. And so now Diane was there. So anyway, congratulations on getting this. And I thought it was quite interesting when you saw her and you wore your little wrap sweater and your your wrap thing and and she and and she actually looked at you and she gave you the applause you know like oh thumbs up like okay you did it right and then she was like oh yeah but this is how we showed it on the runway right right <laughs> right exactly. so you had done your homework joya you walked in like a runway model that was very smart of you well let's get to her um her life First of all, let's start a little bit with Lily and the fact that she was in Auschwitz. And yeah. that was just an, you know, a horrific, horrific time. And, and obviously, once the war was over and two years later, she had a Diane. Um, and th- it seems like throughout her life, she always tried to be a positive person until that time. She had the breakdown in Berlin mm-hmm. with, when she heard the German language. It had to have been challenging, though, to grow up in the beginning, you know, with that shadow of the Holocaust. Uh, What was your feeling in talking with Diane? Because both Diane and her brother seemed to feel that their mom was always, always seeing the bright side of things. Right. Well, she didn't want to leave them a legacy of tragedy, and so she always tried to put a positive spin on things. But she suffered from depression, and she also had physical problems that stemmed from the malnutrition that she'd had in the camps. And children are very, very sensitive to what's going on with their parents, even when the parents are being heroic about hiding it. And so Diane knew that her mother was unhappy, and she felt this pressure, I think, to make her happy. Diane is, in many ways, well, she's, Diane's an extraordinary person and, and a unique person, an unusual person, but she shares a lot of qualities with other children of Holocaust survivors. And one of them is this feeling of having to make up for your parents' suffering, which means that you strive harder and you keep striving and nothing is ever good enough. You never feel that you have enough success. You just have to keep pushing, pushing, and pushing, and pushing on the one hand. And another very common trait among the children of Holocaust survivors is a kind of insecurity. 
Yes, that's what I was going to say. For a person who is so famous and who has been so successful, and yes, she's had some ups and downs, but she always comes back up. She's still, at least from what I get from reading the, the, her biography here, uh, Life Unwrapped, that you've so beautifully written, is that she's in, she is insecure. She doesn't have the confidence that, you know, that she, she was, you know, she's constantly sort of self-doubting herself. Um, how, how she, how did she overcome that to become so successful? I mean, she put her mind to marrying a prince and then she meets Egon and she marries a prince. I mean, her girlfriend had already married, you know, right. married royalty. I mean, it sounded like a Cinderella story. Right. I mean, literally rags to riches, literally a Cinderella story. Right. Well, her parent, her, it isn't quite rags to riches because her parents were well off. They weren't rich in the way that Aegon was rich. Um, but but, be, but a, they had everything taken away from them during the, right. the whole war. So right. they had right. gone from being very wealthy or, you know, substantially wealthy to losing everything, including, you know, being in the concentration camp. That was for exactly. her mom. Exactly. And um, uh, the Diane's father had been in an internment camp in Switzerland, which wasn't as bad as a concentration camp, but it was no picnic by any means. Um, so Diane, Diane, I don't think she set out to marry a prince, though, you know, as you point out, her, her best friend married one, too, which is kind of a big coincidence. Yeah. You know, when you grow up in Europe, I mean, little girls always dream of marrying princes from right, right. Disney stories that you read when you're four, when, or have read to you when you're four. But in Europe, you can actually aspire to marrying a prince because there is European royalty in a, still in a lot of European countries. I don't think she set out to marry a prince. I think that Aegon was the person that she fell in love with. I think she, w- she was attracted to his glamour. Um, so his being a prince had uh, a piece of that. But Diane was always the force in the relationship, even though Aegon was the, mon- the one with the title and the money. She was the one with the real psychological and emotional power. Well, and it seems like throughout their relationship, whether they, you know, were married or separated or whatever, that he aspired to be more like her. I mean, everything she did, he copied and did something like it. You know, she would come out with a fragrance, then he'd come out with a fragrance. She wrote a memoir, he had to write something, you know, whatever. And so it seemed that he was trying, even though he had the title, she had the business acumen or somehow she had that magic. To make something out of nothing, right, right. And, and I loved it that she, she said, "Oh, I've done ambition. pretty good for a girl who never learned to sew." Right, right. <laughs> he did. He didn't have her ambition or drive. Yeah. Um, and well, and that probably comes too from the fact that he never had to do anything. He was a right. prince. Everything right. was given to him. Right. 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 Whereas she did, she had to work a little bit harder. Right, and that's not something you can fake. You know, that comes from deep within you. You either have that drive or you don't have it. You can't fake it. You can't force yourself to have it. It's just there. Now, let's talk about her. She had very strong feminist convictions. She really believed because her mom had always told her, you know, you need to depend on yourself. You're never going to depend on a a man. You need to make your own money, et cetera. So she was really, really into that. But at the same time, she was a wildly sexual um, being and, yes. you know, very, very much into men, into women, the, you know, the whole, the whole thing. How do you think that, was this just a sign of the times? Was this the, a p- part of the people that she went around with? I mean, it was interesting that her husband never thought himself as really being homosexual Yet, or, you know, he called himself bisexual, but he really seemed to prefer men to women, although Diane was like his favorite person. Right. I mean, I I think of Aegon as being gay, though Diane insists that he was bisexual, and of course he did have relationships with women, and, and he fathered two children by her. But I think that Diane's sexuality, um, was, to a certain extent, part of the times. The 70s was a wild and crazy time when people were just, anything went, and you could, you know, people were sleeping with everybody, and there was a lot of experimentation. And I also think that it informed her 
fashion aesthetic because her style has the heat of sex flowing through it. It's a very sexy style. And exactly. I think that that it that it was just something that was very, very, very much a part of her life. And she had kind of a man's attitude, a traditionally man's attitude towards sex, which was that she felt she should be free to sleep with whoever she wanted to sleep with. And she did sleep with whoever she wanted to sleep with. And she, to this day, I think I quote her in the book saying, it's one thing she doesn't regret. She, right. Um, She's very, very open about it, right? Very She's open very open about, about it. About- and has no regrets about it, and is very um, looks upon that period in her life as a great adventure and something that she is uh, very happy that she experienced. Well, and you know the fact too, when you say that she never looked at, at him as being gay but bisexual, it was the same with her. She was shocked when uh, that reporter asked her if she was uh, gay and or you know if she preferred women, and it was like what. I could never live without men, but she she was attracted to many women as yes. well. And that the young girl um, was her name Gia Gia Diana, the model her girlhood friend, and Gia also she was very attracted to, to, to Gia. Right, and and unfortunately she, Gia died of AIDS, I think, in 1986, but right. probably from a, from all the drugs. That was a very right. sad thing. But you know when you talk figure. about her styles being really uh, drawn from maybe her sexual appetite. It's very interesting how quickly she became a, an icon because she was just in her 20s when she unraveled the wrap dress. Exactly. And it really, I think, still to this day is, is a dress or a style that is still flattering to almost all body types and is so comfortable and I think it probably is something that kind of it never goes out of style. Right. And uh, as you say, it is something that's flattering to women of all ages and of all body types. It's, it's not like a young style that you have to stop wearing when you reach a certain age. Um, and I think that, that at the time she did the wrap dress, it was when women were just going into the workforce in great numbers. And there was this feeling in the 70s that if you wanted to compete with men in the workplace, you had to be a little miniature man. Right. So, she didn't agree with that. No. And so you could find pantsuits, you could find Oxford shirts in the department stores, and that's what women were wearing to work. They were dressing like little men in suits, skirt suits often, but still suits with Oxford shirts and sometimes even ties and clunky shoes and there nobody was doing a sexy little dress and of course Diane had come from Europe where women were wearing sexy little dresses and she saw this void in the market and got the idea that if she supplied American women with a sexy little dress they would go for it and boy did they and you know I mean of course and still today I mean she's her name is obviously going to be in history with all the great designers. And just having the DVF nomenclature that, you know, she has created, she really has influenced um, so many up-and-coming young, you know, young people and young designers that are out there. How about her business history? I think it was interesting because she really didn't, have a business background, no. and it, it seemed that in the beginning, you know, when you think about young people coming up, because I know that she aspires to help, especially young women. She really cares mm-hmm. about that. She, you know, she believes in, she seems like she's a very um, uh, loyal person. When yes. I read, it seems to me that she's loyal to her friends and her family, and she cares about people, which I yes. think is just really a wonderful thing. But when you think about uh, people coming up today and wanting to get into the fashion world, the, it seemed that it was her ties to Egon and his world of influence that helped her really launch. Yes, be- yes, because Egon was part of this social world that included a lot of New York designers who were just coming into their own as a style force before the 70s, really, American fashion was nowhere. 
certainly before, it was only in the 50s that it really started, but in the 70s there was this explosion of American style, and you had a lot of famous American designers like Halston and Stephen Burroughs and Bill Blass, and Aegon knew all of these people because he was part of their social world, and so Diane had entree through Aegon, and she got to go to the back room of their studios and see how fashion was made. And also Aegon was obsessed with fashion himself, and he helped Diane. His taste was very different from hers, but he helped her look at clothes as a designer. And that got her thinking that she could be a designer and have a design business. And they were so beautiful together. You know, they really were a very dynamic, um, you know, a jet-setting kind of couple. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so I think that just the sight of them together was uh, exciting. And looking, you know, there was, you, you write in the book, and we're talking with author Joya DeLiberto. She is the author of the new book, Diane Von Furstenberg, A Life Unwrapped. And you talk about how um, when they were, you know, they would go out to different places and, you know, they would be at different parties, etc. How the men would flock to him, the men would flock to her. Uh, that it was like everybody was always looking at them as being this beautiful couple. And that I don't remember who it was, but it might have been a Newsweek. When she was doing Newsweek, they didn't believe that she was only 28 because she looked so young. And they actually made her produce her birth certificate, which she did. She got it from Belgium. Because that's she true. was kind of wise beyond her years, right? That's, that's true. She, well, she was famous at such a young age. There were so few women who were famous when they were in their mid-20s. That, and she's now been around for so long, nobody can believe that she's only 68 today. Right. Because she's been on the scene for 40 years. And she still looks just about the same as she did at 28. Right. Right. You know, that's the thing. She's still lithe and beautiful and, and very um, cat-like. You know, when, yes. when I think about her as like with the leopard skins and, you know. And, of course, that was something that was interesting about her when you were talking about the business life of women having to look like men, you know, or act like men. She never, she never stooped to that. She never believed in that. She would show up in her fishnet stockings to meetings and her mini skirts and, you know, her wraps and her furs and I mean, she always, always was just who she was. She was, she was real all the time. Can we talk about them as parents? Because I did, I really do honor the fact that despite the relationship that she and Aegon had together, uh, that it sounds like she never dissed him to her kids, even when they said, you know, I think daddy's gay or, you know, or he would do these crazy things and, you know, he would leave them. And I mean, he, he didn't sound like he was, he was devoted to them, but I don't think it was def- he didn't have the skills to be that good of a father. Yet she, was, um, she never seemed to say anything bad about him. No, and, and one of Diane's nicest qualities is that she is militantly upbeat. She does not say bad things about people. She's a very positive person. Um, I, I'm trying to think if I've heard her say bad things about people. Well, see, I think that's what's wonderful about her is because when you're positive, you actually draw people to you. And, you know, to be optimistic, your life is going to be actually so much better because she believes that it's going to be better. So that's what she's creating. And that, and that gets to the point of with all the lovers she's had, and, you know, I mean, she lost count. She doesn't probably even remember <laughs> most of them, right? But right. it seems that some of the major ones of her life, I mean, she was friends with them. Even though yes. it's over, you know, she would have a fling here or a fling that or last a year, three years. She remains friends with so many people. Mm, she likes to keep everybody in her life. You have to really betray Diane to have her banish you from her life. She, she uh, has this very nurturing quality that she's had since her 20s. She, once she decides that you're her friend, she keeps you as a friend. Well, that probably means you're going to be her friend forever now. You've written a great book about it. <laughs> yeah, I you're, hope so. You're, you are in her life, <laughs> right? Whether she uh, likes it What or about not. Barry Diller now? Because these are, you know, he. it was interesting when he first met her. 
Again, we're talking about Diane von Furstenberg, A Life Unwrapped, the book by Joya Diliberto. And you wrote in your book that when Barry first met her, she didn't pay any attention to him, and he felt like really kind of dissed by her. And then the second time he met her, he was completely entranced, and he said, let's get together. And, of course, you know, we know what happened after that. But they seem to be truly like soulmates. I think they are. They've been together for 35-plus years, which is longer than most marriages last. They've right. been married since 2001, and he has been her best friend all that time. There were a few periods where they did not see each other very much, and they were not in touch very closely, but they'd always been in touch a little bit. And then there were other periods when she was dating other people um, when they did stay close in touch, and he helped her. He was a business advisor to her right. at some point. Well, and point. there was that, that point when she, you know, when the wrap dress, uh, actually, she opened the papers that day, and all the big stores, I think six of the major stores, had discounted the dress by 50%, and then right. Women's Wear Daily wrote that terrible story about how her, her wrap dress was getting discounted, and then all the stores across the nation did, and right. then she lost that business, right. you know. And but she, you know, her, her comment to then was how she really felt betrayed by many of her male advisors because when she was writing high, they were all like, "Go, go, go, go!" But then they didn't have an exit plan for her. No, and and she has to take responsibility for that too because right, she had no business experience and she did the class made the classic mistake that people make when they're having a big success, which is not stop and slow down and take a real measured look at how you want to grow. Because after a few years, women already had two and three wrap dresses and they didn't need any more. <laughs> and she was still churning them out, 25,000 wrap dresses a week. She was not diversifying. She was not finding another product to replace the wrap dress. And when the wrap dress craze ended, her business tanked, and she almost lost everything. So now what do you think is next for DVF? I mean, it seems that she always can reinvent herself. Even when she falls, she gets right back up. Right. So right. that's a, to me, that's something that's very empowering, and that says a lot about her, her uh, fortitude and her strength of mm -hmm. character. What do you think is the next the next step for her? What does she want to do? Well, I think I know what she would like, and that is to be a global brand on the order of Chanel, mm -hmm. a brand with soul, as such brands are known, and a brand with soul is a brand that stands for intangible qualities, not just the founder, not just the real Coco Chanel or the real Diane von Furstenberg, but stands for, in Coco Chanel's case, a kind of uh, elegance and luxury. In DVF's case, it would be on-the-go glamour. And so Diane would really like to be that kind of brand with soul that will last long after she's gone. Uh, of course, Chanel has been dead since the 70s. Um, and I think Diane would like to pass the business along to her granddaughter. Her children have no interest in running it, but she has a granddaughter who is very interested. The girl is still just a teenager, though, um, and hasn't completed her education. But it's hard. It's difficult. Uh, she, she has a long way to go um, to becoming that brand. So we'll see what happens. It must be very gratifying, though, that she does have a granddaughter who's interested. And, you know, it is fascinating how that goes in generations. Very often the children are not interested in following in the footsteps of their parents, but the grandchildren are. Right. And that w it would be wonderful to continue. What are the, some of the steps that she has to take? I mean, she's already globally known, but to get to that level of, you know, like a like the Coco Chanel, that has to be another hurdle. Right. Well, the the to get to that level, you have to have an accessory that people are willing to pay a premium price for. So that in the case of Chanel, and the reason that Chanel has lasted is because it has stayed in the Wertheimer family for all these years. The mm. Wertheimers 
were the uh, family that did her perfume way back in the 20s, and they continued to control the company. Coco Chanel did not have any children, did not have any heirs, so when she died, it all went to them. Um, But you need that perfume or that handbag or that pair of shoes that large numbers of people will pay a premium price for. And a problem for Diane is that she has been known for clothes, for dresses, and right. her price point is at, the, is, is at the midpoint of the runway, not the high end of the runway. And fashion is very aspirational, and so to get people to pay that high price when you have been known for your very for mid-priced, mid-priced clothes, is a difficult jump to make. Right. For yeah, example, so, I mean, Michael and I Kors. assume that she's still working on this, and who knows, that teenage granddaughter may come up with the next great idea. That's true, you, that's true. You know, I've, you I've never been, you never know. I never also know. just found it interesting, you know, how when she went to Bali, she she <laughs> picked up the guy on the beach and, tried to change everything into Balinese and tropical, but you never know where your next idea is going to come from. You never but know. It sounds like she's definitely experimenting, and she's had an incredible run, but I wish her all the, the luck in the world. And she's very fortunate to have you as her biographer. So let's give out your website. It's joyadiliberto.com, and I'll spell that for our listeners, G-I-O-I-A-D-I-L. I-B-E-R-T-O, joyadiliberto.com. The book is Diane von Furstenberg, A Life Unwrapped. It's absolutely fascinating. And all the affairs she had with movie stars, I wonder if there's just anybody who's anybody who hasn't known Diane. I mean, it's... (laughs) (laughs) And and I told her that I could write another book called Celebrities Who Love Diane von Furstenberg and fill 400 pages. I think you could, because I, I can tell by just reading this, you've only touched the surface. She's, she's a very fascinating person. So, Joya, thank you so much for coming on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and uh, sharing all of your insights on who she is and who she loved and how she became the amazing designer that she is. That she is. And uh, we wish that she will become a brand. I mean... You know, what Chanel number no. five is still the number one perfume in the world, I think, right? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. So, you know, that uh, sh- there's, there's something out there. There is something out there. It's, it just hasn't been unwrapped yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure. It's been lots of fun. Again, Joya Diliberto, her book, Diane von Furstenberg, A, Berg, a Life Unwrapped, joyadiliberto.com. Go to the website, pick up the book. I'll be back in a bit. We're going to talk a little bit about affection. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. Be the star you are. The star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Be the star you are. Light up the flame. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit bethestarur.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are.org. Be the lucky star. Be the star you are, you are the star. Pump up your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, life-changing interviews and star-studded conversations on our award-winning program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Hosted by the passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Find all you need in a life. Well, that was a fascinating interview. It's a fascinating book, Diane von Furstenberg, A Life Unwrapped. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. 
a little bit about the gift of affection from my book, Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference. My maternal grandmother, Juanita Abrazzini, was a passionate animal lover, and she had herds of horses and dogs and wild animals and aviaries filled with exotic birds. She and Grandpa Fred rode in fine western regalia and parades around California and often hitched their horses up to buggies and appeared in movies. Grandma was a true blue cowgirl. She was so renowned for her work with horses that she was hired to train several famous horses for the film industry. Now, perhaps I inherited my love of the animal kingdom from Grandma and passed this passion on to my son and daughter. Grandma taught me how to communicate with these furred and feathered friends. When my sisters and I were young, Grandma and Grandpa gave my daddy three horses, a chestnut quarter horse named Taffy that my sister Patty claimed, a dappled gray Appaloosa named Shadow that my sister Debbie claimed, and a small white Arabian colt for me. I immediately named her Bambi after my favorite movie character. After all the horses were adored, Pam, Bambi and I developed a special relationship. I vividly remember the three of us girls going up to the horse pasture when we were ready to ride like cowgirls, and we'd shout, Bambi, Taffy, Shadow. They'd hear us, and they'd come running. Now, Bambi was always in the lead, galloping down the hill. She and I shared this unique communication, and everyone told me I needed to break her properly, but I never wanted to tame her spirit. I loved her just the way she was, so Bambi trained me <laughs> with affection, respect, and patience. I usually rode her bareback with only a lead rope around her neck. Sometimes I just held onto her mane. She never did learn to take a bit in her mouth or wear a bridle, and that was just fine with me. She always knew instinctively where I wanted to go, unless, of course, I was racing one of my sisters. Then Bambi would try to take the quickest route back to the barn, and I learned to hold on for dear life. Well, Bambi loved me as much as I loved her. She would follow me everywhere, nuzzling my neck, begging me to wrap my arms around her. She was my girl, and I was hers. If only horses could live along as people. Many years later, her death devastated me, but it was also the beginning of my long, affectionate relationship with all creatures. Affection is kinship with another. It's an emotional bond. It's a true fondness from the heart. And I believe that many humans are programmed to give affection but don't know how to receive it. They're afraid to open themselves or they're cynically viewed expressions of tenderness with suspicion. They're suspecting ulterior motives. And for some, an undemanding animal gives us permission to both give and receive unconditional love. My animals have taught me some of my most important lessons in human relationships. Compassion, love, empathy, and perseverance. And animals feel emotional bonds just as we humans do, and they're not afraid to exhibit their emotions. So take a lesson from all God's creatures. Show your affection for this world we live in, because the more you care, the more affection you will encounter. Just pass it on. So the next time somebody walks in the door, don't ask about what kind of day they had. Just start wiggling, waggling, and jumping for joy. Bark, whinny, honk, or quack, and convey how delighted you are to see him. Let your enthusiastic affection bubble over and watch their reactions. Sure, at first they're going to think you lost your mind, but then they'll wonder what the heck you're up to. And finally, they'll laugh at you, with you, and for you. And the best part is when they get into the routine and they return your affection. So thanks for being such great listeners and allowing me into your life each week. Make sure you're tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Every Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. for some personal growth, success, advice, the best authors, and know that you can change your life and you can make your dreams come true. We try to bring you those true stories of people who are doing just that. For more information about Star Style, visit star-style.com. To learn about the charity that brings you this site, visit btsya.com. That stands for Be the Star You Are. Our aim is to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. We want you to cherish the past, dream of the future, but celebrate every moment of your life. And until next week when we celebrate once again, remember love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep you happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style thanking you, and I encourage you to be the star you are. Have a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference. And be here next Wednesday, 4 to 5. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. Be the star you are. Keep caring.
It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to www.bethestarur.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. You are.